Okay, let's say, let's say that you're right. Let's say that this thing has happened. Just like you said it is. Let's say that we're going to follow this trail just like, uh, well, just like they did it, huh? And what I want to know is what's going to happen next. We're going to wind up at a massacre. That's what. You going to stop it? Yeah, stop it or join it. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. Hey guys, it's Terry here. And I hope that you enjoyed our discussion about uh, Black Mirror, White Christmas. Um, you know, we did take two weeks off after. Um, I, you know, part of that was one, it was a holiday, and two, because uh, uh, the world got turned upside down last week, and I just didn't think it would have been a lot of fun to discuss the Twilight Zone in the midst of everything going on. I mean, it's still ongoing, but it just didn't feel like the best time. And also, I feel like Terry needed at least two weeks to get to get back to himself after watching White Christmas. Dude, the emotional break enough. Like I just needed some uh, some gathering time for like like the pieces and parts that really is me. <laughs> I mean, like we we saw each other over New Year's, and it was just it was startling how your hair has turned white, and you now have a cane because of that episode. It was crazy. Yeah, I feel like I'm a better person now. I think I'm a little bit more prepared to talk about this episode. But man, White Christmas was uh, was gut wrenching, and uh, it's going to take me a minute to get back to uh, black. Uh, Black Mirror, I think. It's good. It's, I'm putting that on the shelf for a little bit. It's one of those things where it's like you hear of like different uh, liquors where like, you know, there's people that like, uh, was it uh, scotches and brandies where it's like, it's a sipping drink. Black Mirror, sometimes it's a sipping series, right? You got to just, you got to contemplate one. You don't want to chug it all at once because uh, you'll probably end up in a hospital somewhere. So um, I made the mistake of chugging a lot of it at once. Uh you know, there's there's a few weeks in my life I don't remember now because of that. But I, I'm glad that you enjoyed it uh, in the most brutal way possible. I hope you guys enjoyed our conversation about that. Um, but we're back to the Twilight Zone, uh, and we're going to be covering uh, season five, episode ten. The seventh is made up of phantoms. Uh, for day and date, this was aired uh, December six, nineteen sixty three. Number one song, I'm leaving it up to you by Dale and Grace. I, I did look this up, listen to it, because I tried to listen to all the number one songs. Um, very familiar hook. Uh, I, I, I am not going to sing it, because I do not have the chops, but look it up. It's it's very much of its time. Uh, number one film is Charade, or Charade, um, and I'll give you the description of the film. Romance and suspense ensue in Paris as a woman is pursued by several men who want a fortune, uh, uh, who want a fortune her murdered husband had stolen. Whom can she trust? 
This starred uh, Cary Grant, Audrey Hepburn, Walter Matthau. I want to believe Walter Matthau was like the lead sexy man there, not Cary Grant. Um, but this has been described as the best Hitchcock film that he never made. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm definitely intrigued. That it's a pretty star-studded cast there. I've never even heard of this film. I feel like I like I've been leaving out a long like decade of mu- or, uh, movies. Um, now that we're like revisiting them for day and date for this show, man, I thought this was a Hitchcock film. Um, and then if you look at the posters for it, there it has a very distinct uh, like uh, what's the name of the guy who did the all those cool um, Saul Bass like he had, like that graphic design. Like if you look up his stuff, like he did the poster for The Shining, like the yellow poster with that, like the the font with the face in it. Um, he also did like uh, Vertigo, other things. I think he did the one for Sherrod, um, or Charade. I'm just saying Sherrod. Um, yeah, I as much as I need to get more into Hitchcock, this is one of those ones I've seen bef- like around, and I've just never gotten to. It sounds like a lot of fun. Um, yeah, so there you go. Put that on the list of things I've not seen, but I know were important. And, uh, you know, I, as far as like the information I could find for day and date, um, I know on the seventh, uh, Americans got to see, uh, got their first glimpse of the new British music group, the Beatles, when a clip of one of their, uh, performances, uh, and the, mo- and in the enthusiastic support of British fans was shown on CBS evening news. Oh, wow. Uh, so yeah, we're going to get more Beatles news as we go along here because they've been, they're starting to, the, the British invasion, the, the Redcoats are coming, you know, with their, their groovy uh, songs and their, their bowl cuts. Um, so what I have here also for day and date is that uh, the day of this episode aired, December uh, 6th, uh, two weeks after the assassination of President Kennedy, former First Lady Jackie Kennedy and her daughter, Caroline and son John Jr. moved out of the White House shortly after noon. President Johnson and his wife, Lady Bird Johnson, had agreed that the Kennedy family could have as much time as they needed to pack up their belongings and move to a different home. So that's that's not the biggest story, but it's important to show that, like, you know, that there like there is a process. And I know that they like, I also read here that um one of the other kids actually had a, a, a belated birthday party that day because it was supposed to happen around the time of when Kennedy was assassinated. So that must have been weird. Um, but that that was happening. And then on the 7th, uh, aside from the Beatles starting to invade America, uh, another thing that happened that has changed our lives, Terry, that you'll appreciate, um, was that uh, Tony Verda, a CBS TV director, invented the concept of instant replay during the network's televised broadcast football uh, annual Army-Navy game. Uh, in the fourth quarter, the Army quarterback ran for a touchdown, and within seconds, technicians rewound the black-and-white videotape and then played the recording back on television. The commentator at the time told viewers, this is not live, ladies and gentlemen. Army did not score again, which I think that would have been funny. Uh, but the name Instant Replay would be coined by uh, Pat Summerall during the broadcast of the Cotton Ball on January 1st, 64. That is so cool, man. I didn't know that, like, how the, the uh, in, I guess, the concept even came about so that's really interesting well i mean like not to not to derail here but that's what we do here on the show um uh the whole like all the innovations that happen with like sports broadcasting like you know the sky cam that they show now and like the nfl games where it's like that big camera it's overhead that has like the four points in the stadium that kind of can move it, all over place yeah it's like on a zip line or whatever yeah that was invented in the 80s and was used to shoot the opening of highlander um and uh, it was just that the rig was way heavy and there was the fear that it could snap and break. 
Uh, and then it wasn't used in a live sporting venue until the XFL did it originally. And then the NFL scooped it up and did it. So there's always these innovations that happen that we take for granted now that they always start somewhere, right? And I think this was kind of fun that I didn't realize Instant Replay started here where they're like, we recorded this on videotape. Let's show it again. And I like that the commentator's like, by the way, the team didn't score again. Because you know you know, people back home have been like, what? What's going on? What is this? Was the Browns playing the Steelers this year? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it is uh, football time. So let's yeah. talk football. So yeah, that's yeah. awesome, man. I, that's really cool to like information to uh, find out there, man. Yeah. So that's what I got was uh, instant replay. It started to exist the day after this, um, which I would argue that this episode isn't an instant replay, but it's a, it's a, a replay of sorts, you know? So there you go. That's your thematic tie in. Um, all right. So yeah, let's get into uh, cast and crew here. All right, so our director on this episode is uh, Alan Corselin Jr. Um, he did two episodes of The Twilight Zone prior to this, uh, The Parallel and The Old Man in the Cave, which we talked about just recently. And uh, and he's going to do one more this season. Um, if you want to get dive more into uh, Mr. Corselin's, um, you know, conversation, uh, maybe visit the old man in the cave yeah but not why why not the parallel Terry? Visit him. <laughs> why, why not why not revisit our conversation with the parallel in season four why would we not do that that you uh, i don't know maybe it wasn't <laughs> <laughs> maybe we don't want to talk about it <laughs> fair enough no instant replays yeah, um right so uh yeah so um yeah so we had recently covered him so yeah check out the that episode that we talked about and um our writer on this episode is mr rod serling Coming back again. Um, so, I, you know, I have to, I guess, dig a little bit deeper into Rod Soling because it's been a minute since we talked about him. What is, like, one of your more uh, favorite episodes that maybe he has written for you? Uh, him specifically? Oh, shoot. Um, all right. Because uh, there's times where it's like you get it gets a little blurry, right? So, right. Um, like, I think, uh, let's see here. Well, as you're looking for yes. that, uh, for anybody who hasn't like really dove into Mr. Rod Serling's career, um, he not only created the Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. he created Night Gallery, and um, uh, before both of those shows, he did uh, what was it called, Paul? Uh, Playoffs ninety. He wrote scripts Playhouse for that. Yeah. 90. Um, so yeah, real quick, I'll just say like, I don't know if it's my favorite, but I think it's very pertinent. And I had posted it the first time I posted an image from this episode, uh, last week when we had our, our break, because of like, I just, again, you know, the Capitol was being attacked. I didn't know if it'd been like, let's just have some drinks and talk about the Twilight Zone. It didn't feel appropriate, but I posted an image from he's alive from season four, uh, the Dennis Hopper episode that I, again, I'd recommend people go back and listen to and watch the episode. It's not my, it's not my favorite Serling one, but I think it's one of the most powerful ones. So I'll just use that as an example that that's going to stick with me. Yeah. I, I, I'm haven't seen that one. Uh, no, you watched it with I, me. We covered he's alive. It was the one with Dennis oh, Hopper I'm sorry. As, as the uh, neo-Nazi. No, I'm sorry. Yes. I was, I was reading at the same time. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Completely sorry about it. I mean, no, that is an yeah. incredible episode. Uh, I, I would say that uh, outside of that, because I put myself on the spot here, um, uh, the Thirty Phantom Grave is a ve- a very interesting episode, and I think that's definitely one for maybe somebody who hasn't really discovered uh, Twilight Zone or the fourth season of Twilight Zone may want to visit because it's an interesting concept and it, it 
it's very thought provoking. Yeah. I mean, I'd even toss out like, let's see here. Um, who like, I just, I feel bad because like every single episode, I'm like, who wrote this? Right. Um, uh, the after hours, the first, one of the first episodes of season one with, uh, uh, the young lady that was going to the, 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 the store at like the, the department store with the mannequins coming alive. Where is everybody? The very first episode of the season, uh, series one, season one. Like, yeah, there's, there's plenty of great Serling out there. Right. Cause I mean, you know, clearly, right. He wrote the bulk of the series. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the guy was an incredible talent. Um, I think that once you really dive into his writing credits and that, you'll see that he, he was part of so much of the show. It wasn't just that he created the show. He was uh, the, like a, a huge talent for the writing. So, um, yeah, I, I know that we've kind of glazed over some of his, uh, you know, abilities in the past few episodes because, you know, he is a writing credit for a lot of the episodes, especially recently. Um, but, yeah, Rod Serling was an incredible uh, talent. Yeah, so. I, it's like, I, and and I think I think you're trying. Correct me if I'm wrong, and as I often am, is that um, I think um, you know, there's times where you have he he swings for the fences and knocks it out of the park. Other times you get an episode like the whole truth, which was in season two. It was one of the videotaped episodes, which was like still one of my least favorite episodes of the series. Um, you know, like he has he the man wrote a lot. And, and even with this episode, which, you know, not tip my hand, you see the intent and there's the, a great kernel of an idea. You, and then what we even talked about, like, was it uh, probe seven over and out? He wrote that where you could see, like, he had a skeleton. It just, he may not have been able to, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to mix that metaphor, drag that skeleton across the finish line. I don't know what that means. That's a great visual. Um, yeah. Like even, even with rods, um, misses, I still think there's something there and you got to appreciate the output of this guy, you know, like the, the more I hear about him, the more I learn about him. Like, you know, he's not a God. He's just a dude that smoked a lot and had some good ideas and was trying to be a good dad and trying to, you know, like fulfill his needs contractually and still be creative and still, you know, not sell out. So I, I will respect that. Yeah. I, I, I don't think without Rod Serling that we would have this podcast. Oh, so um, yeah. here we are. Um, thanks Rod. And so now into our cast, uh, we got Rod Foster. He plays Connors in this episode. Um, uh, the only things that I would have known him from is uh, The Muppets Take Manhattan, uh, Ninja 3, The Domination. Yes, I wrote that all in caps. Yeah. One of, one of, one of <laughs> you the, have to say, The Domination. I watched that movie for the first time uh, last February, uh, and it is one of the greatest. Uh, it's Okay, let's put, it's not a good film. I adore this film. <laughs> It's like, what if ninjas and the exorcist got together, but also the eighties and like, uh, like workout clothes. Like, I don't know. Like it's, it's, it's Canon as it's a Canon film. And it is like, you know, it, it just, it reeks of Canon in like the funnest ways possible. Did, did you guys cover this on your other podcast? No, no, we did not. Uh, I, no. I, I feel like this was up for contention to be covered, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm totally excited to see this film just for how ridiculous the, the plot line is. So you've so, not seen it? No, no. I, oh. I, to, to be completely honest, I have not seen any of the Ninja films. We, we covered Enter the Ninja on, um, on Invasion of the Podcast, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, had Franco Nero uh, playing a, uh, a guy from Texas, and his voice was heavily dubbed being an Italian actor, you know? like, mm. um, And that's, that's a fun movie. There's a, 
was it Ninja Ninja the Revenge or whatever was the second one? Um, and then there's Ninja Three. So like none of them make sense at all, you know. But the domination is just it like. It just here, Tara, I'll set the stage for you. What if this possessed ninja sword keeps busting out of a closet at random to possess a woman who was like a aerobics trainer to go exact vengeance upon the ninja that had been slain like on his enemies? Are you I would have been like, why didn't Lloyd Kaufman get a hold of this first? Because <laughs> this is a better movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, shots oh, fired. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, can't, and, uh, can't it, it may not have had budgets, but they had better budgets than Tromo. Let's just be honest. This, well, yeah, I'll give you that credit yeah. for sure. Oh, um, yeah. And it, uh, he, uh, Mr. Foster was also in the money pit, which I absolutely adore. I love the money um, pit. Because, you know, why not like Tom Hanks and everything he's ever touched? Right? The guy's incredible. Um, nice. So, yeah. Um, next credit we have here is uh, Warren Oates uh, plays Langsford. Langsford. We have to make sure we have to put the S in there. Langsford. Um, one of their Twilight Zone appearance, uh, that was the Purple Testament. Yeah. And so, like, that was also one dealing with uh, uh, Army Men. So, I guess that, I don't know if he got typecast, but uh, he was also in The Wild Bunch in 69, which is an amazing film. Let's just throw that out there. Then also, at a film that has been discussed, I think, on this podcast. And I have friends that hold this up in higher regard. It's 1975's Race with the Devil that has, um, oh, shit, uh, the guy from, um, the other guy from, uh, oh, oh, Jesus, what's it called? Here, I'll look it up. It's the motorcycle movie from the 60s with Dennis Hopper. Um, Easy Rider. Easy Rider. The other guy, uh, Fonda. Uh, Hen- Henry Fonda? Yeah. Yeah, Henry Fonda's in, um, in this. And it is, I don't know if you've seen Race with the Devil, but it is the... It, <laughs> There, the idea was these two, like these guys, they're this, like this uh, uh, RV, them and their like their their wives, and they're going to go like like out camping, and they have like mo- dirt bikes because they're like you know they're like motorcycle racers, uh, and they happen to like like be in the middle of Texas and nowhere, and they stop the one night, and they actually happen to oversee like a ritual sacrifice, and so they have to beat feet and try to get out because um, these cultists are like following them. That sounds really cool, right? Mm. The movie's not great. Like, and okay. people, I will have people fight me. The ending of it's pretty, the ending, the ending, it does stick the landing. It's one of those great 70s, like, oh, no, you didn't, like, dark endings. But the rest of the film's kind of like, meh. But yeah, Warren Oates I, I think you did a letterbox or something on this. Somebody did a letterbox yeah. and I, and it sounded, it sounded interesting enough. Cause I think Warren Oates is like the other, the other lead versus Fonda and that, if I remember right. But so here I have a quote from, uh, from Warren Oates, um, the shoutiest actor in this episode, um, aside from the, the, like the captain or whatever, the guy back at base, he said, uh, there were 40 Western series and I went from one to the other. I started out playing the third bad guy on a horse and worked my up to the number one bad guy. So I thought that was funny. Like he did a lot of Westerns. There was a lot at that time too, man. Like as we cover the series, we're going to just keep on saying he did a lot of Westerns because there were so many at that time. And I mean, I'm I'm familiar with certain ones like, uh, you know, (laughs) I, I mean, the Virginian is a big one. Um, Gunsmoke uh, Bonanza. Gunsmoke you know, yeah. Bonanza. Like they're those are the big staples for me when I was a kid because I was growing up with my grandparents and that and my grandfather loved Westerns. But outside of that, there were a lot of like one off ones where they did 
30 episode season and mm-hmm. then it was done. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Like Johnny Ringo and all like the, whatever. There was a lot of that. Right. And it's just, it was the popular thing at the time. Like think about like, um, it currently now, like, uh, you know, it's, it's what, it's what networks chase, right? Like yeah. a lot of that now happens to be reality shows, but back then it was Westerns cause you had a lot of similar backlots. It's what was selling. It's because kids grew up with, you know, like Westerns and that's what was selling and they made a lot of them. That's just, it was the TV landscape and yeah, Warren Oates was in a lot of it. He got paid. And I'm not sure if you uh, touched on it, but Warren Oates was also in stripes. Did you see it, say that one? Um, no, you're right. He was Sergeant Hulk on stripes. Yeah, right. I and, have that in my notes. Yes. And that's the, he, he seems so familiar to me while watching this episode. Like, dude, how do I know this his, guy? His has teeth a- need its own IMDB, um, like, like filing. Cause like, my gosh, that guy is like 70% teeth. And he has this like smirk of him. Like yes. he knows he's the smartest guy in the room and he's being smug about it. And that's like exactly the role that he played in stripes. So I'm like, I, I knew him right from the cuff. I was like, dude, I know this dude so well. Just what the hell is it? And I, when I looked at his IMDb, I was like, of course he was in stripes. That's the dude. Yeah. So, also one episode of Hawaiian eye. So there you go. Take a drink. Drink. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, moving on, uh, after of course you taking your drink, I mean, um, I'm constantly, whatever. All, for, you'd be like, if you just told me all these guys are Hawaiian, I'm like, well, I believe it. It's fine. Whatever. Let's just do it. Yeah. Rod Serling, like, sure. Uh, we're playing Thunderstruck, man. Um, <laughs> so, um, so next we have Randy Boone. Uh, he plays McCluskey. McCluskey, yeah. Yeah. yeah right. um, uh, 70 episodes of The Virginian, and I didn't know anything much more than that. Yeah, so he's so. still with us. I mean, that, that, that sounds like, you know, the show's 60 years on, right? But so he's actually, he stopped acting in 87. He's related to, um, he's actually a distant relative of Daniel Boone. Uh, and and actor an actor Richard Boone and singers Pat Boone and Debbie Boone, which you may not know it, but his last name is Boone. That's fun, you know. There you go. <laughs> I, I was hoping that he'd be related to uh, the the shortstop from the Reds. Um, <laughs> Maybe you don't know, right? Like, uh, but he actually brother. he actually had his own like short lived music career that never took off because I guess being a Boone, you have to you know um, sing, you know, whatever. So. That's all I yeah, got for him. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, next we have uh, Robert Prey, um, or Bray, I'm sorry, uh, Captain Bennett. Dennett. Wow. I don't know how to read letters. Uh, Serling um, just likes writing weird names. Let's just be honest. I'm sure there was a Bennett and a, and a Dennett and a Smennett. And I don't know. So today it's. And then, then that's that movie that came out the summer, Tenet. Yeah, I get it. It's fine. You know. <laughs> so uh, he was in uh, some episodes of Lassie and a lot of Westerns. <laughs> Yeah, sure that's funny. I wish I could show you my notes. I wrote lots of TV westerns, only yeah. Twilight Zone appearance. But you, yeah. So the the thing about Lassie, I'll, I'll write my notes here. At sixty four, Bray won the role of uh, USFS Ranger Corey Stewart in season eleven of Lassie. Season eleven, because of his affinity for animals and their uh, reciprocity towards him. That's a big word that someone put in Wikipedia. Um, the relationship co- uh, continued for two more seasons. He was written out of the series as a victim of forest fire, and his character was sent away to a hospital, never to return. Wow, I wonder how uh, uh, Robert felt about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, I'm going to guess it's one of those things. It's like, how many times can we uh, bring in, you know, this ranger? It's like after a while, I'm going to be like, are you are you the lead? Are you like, you know, anyway, like, are you now Timmy's father? I don't know. Did Timmy's he, father he, fall down a well? Is you are you now the new father? <laughs> 
How um, many times does this kid have to get stuck in a well? Right. <laughs> he was also in a film from 1960, which this this film, the title of this will never live up to what this film is, but this is one of the greatest titles of a film ever. The Fiend of Dope Island. <laughs> That just sounds badass, dude. I'd right? have to see this now. Uh, but it's like I know, like I know they're like it's dope, like they're talking about like weed. But I just want to feel like this guy is like you know, because you know I know dope is also they talked about like you know using that for like cocaine. I just want this to be the fiend of Cocaine Island, and this guy just on a tear, you know, like he builds civilization in an evening because he keeps bumping rails and just going crazy, you know, like yeah, he's he's like sitting there like trying to take over the island with uh. Scarface, like <laughs> it's like it's like he he shows up like the day after Gilligan's Island with them crashing, and he's like he's like you guys are using coconuts. It's great. Here, I've I've made a reactor that runs off of coconuts. You know, like what? Let's just go. <laughs> like, <laughs> come on, little buddy. Like, yeah. Anyway. I, I feel like my expectations of this film are going to be so far let down. Yeah, I don't, I, I, I never want to see it. I just I feel like the title is too good. So I, I feel at. like we need to make a comic book series off of it or something. <laughs> <laughs> or or what if we make it into um, like an after school special and call it the friend of Dope Island and then everybody learns a lesson. Uh, the more you know, like at the end of yeah. it too, like nice. Uh, let's do it. Yeah, um, just- <laughs> <laughs> we got a lot uh, like planned for the summer. Apparently, this evidently uh, yeah, this year. We're just going so. to take a trip to Dope Island. That's not true at all. Yeah. <laughs> we might need some Dope Island to get all these plans uh, in line, right. but um, anyways. Uh, yeah, Greg Morris is our next on our list here. He plays Lieutenant Woodward, 171 episodes of Mission Impossible. Um, yeah. I, I hate to be the guy, never watch Mission Impossible, not even the movies. Okay, yeah. well, okay, the movies, um, I've seen them all. Did I, yeah, I've watched Fallout. The, the Fallout's the most recent one. Um, there's some cool stuff in there. Uh um, I would say that you don't need to necessarily see them in order, though there is a little bit of a loose story, especially between um, Rogue Nation and Fallout. Um, I, I would recommend watching Ghost Protocol. That's the fourth one. It's my favorite one. That's directed by Brad Bird, the guy who did The Incredibles. Okay. Um, it's it's a cool movie, but that's not... So in regards to to um, Greg Morris, born in Cleveland, just toss that out there. Um, he was one of the few cast members to be in the entire original series because they would rotate people out. Um, Leonard Nimoy was in Mission Impossible for a bit after Star Trek ended. Um, and he got tired of that and moved on. So like, anyway, there's people that would kind of go in and out. Um, so, and he's also important too, because, um, he is, you know, he's an African-American actor. Um, and he was in this episode for a minute, but CBS had a hiring policy of saying, when we do episodes now, there has to be people of color in here. Um, and it was important for him to be in this because he was in the army and, you know, like, this wasn't like a, it wasn't the role where you, like you would see like times past. It might be, you know, I don't know, like this, you'd see garbage of like people being like house service and stuff. This is not what was going on here. CBS was trying to oh, like a weird appropriation. Yeah. Instead. Yeah. So there, so it's important that he was in this, but then it was also important that he was uh, like contributing a mission impossible. It's kind of a big deal. We forget about like representation, right? I think that's a big deal. Uh, shortly before his death, he did see the first Mission Impossible film in the theater. Uh, so here, this was a night. He died in '96, but he went to go see the film. Uh, he disliked the film so much uh, that he left the theater early, and he said it was an abomination. So that's a bummer. That one of the last things he saw on the way out was 
like what he believed was a bastardization of the show that, you know, gave him that he was able to be part of and have a, a, a significant career with. And he did not, he did not appreciate the direction of the first film. Okay. I guess, uh, there, uh, I have to re- uh, go back for a second. I did see the first, f- f- uh, featured film and it was terrible. Like, Oh, okay, I, fine. I think I did, it's cool. Are you upset that Emilio Estevez goes out so fast? No, it just doesn't make any sense, dude. Like the movie just doesn't make sense. <laughs> There's some great actors in it too. I'm like, why did this movie turn out the way it did? And I think it's just because no one knew what the hell was going on in that film. Well, like, I just I will recommend do not watch the second one, the John Woo one. It's it's ridiculous, and it's fun. But you you don't th- if you think the first one didn't make sense, do not watch the second one. See, man, this is the thing. Like, everybody keeps on telling me, like, yeah, if you could just like forget about the first film, I'm like, why? It's the first film. I don't know. Like, that's kind of a big. Deal. I like the first one. The second one's kind of a like it's even more of a mess. The third one, which was directed by J.J. Abrams, who the success of that got him into doing other projects, like film wise. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I don't know. Like, I it's weird that the series gets better as it goes along. Like, that's not often said for film series. Well, yeah, I agree with you on that one for sure. Uh, I guess that is the uh, anomaly there, but yeah. So that's our, that's our cast on this one. So, okay. Let's see here. Do I have anybody else here? Uh, let's see here. So I have to scroll up here real quick. You mentioned him and then I have, okay. I have I one other person. Weird order yeah, 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 no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. I have Lou Brown as a Sergeant. I'm not sure who he was here, but he's a fourth and final Twilight Zone appearance because he's been in four episodes. It would be weird to not uh, call that out. Um, he was in long distance call back there and a thing about machines. And then also Jacques Shelton is corporal. He was only in a, only twice his own appearance, seven credits total. Um, so yeah, there you go. That's your cast. Yeah, that's all I had. So, uh, yeah. So there we go. Let's just, um, let's just, uh, stop, uh, you know, grab ass and, and this is get to Sterling. <laughs> June 25th, 1964. Or, if you prefer, June 25th, 1876. The cast of characters in order of their appearance, a patrol of General Custer's cavalry, and a patrol of National Guardsmen on a maneuver. Past and present are about to collide head-on, as they are wont to do in a very special bivouac area known as the Twilight Zone. All right, so... Um yeah, this episode. So let, let's uh, let's just start this off by saying, um, uh, I, I, Terry had admitted to me before we started like recording and proper here that you've done a lot of research regarding the the events surrounding this episode, which I think will help us frame this better. Um, it's weird because this episode is a lot of like telling and not showing. Like you could almost call this whole episode the seventh is made up of I don't know people talking, like. Walk us into this because the 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 premise of this is interesting, but like I kept waiting for like the execution to hit, and it just never came came together for me. Okay, so at the beginning of our episode here, um, we get three dudes on horseback that are they stumble upon uh, a teepee, and they're talking about how they're surveying the area and making sure that there isn't any other native Americans around or like trying to find out the numbers for custard. So this is in the 1870s around when Custer's uh, 
last stand happens. And I, you know, high school for me was a long time ago. <laughs> I'm, I'm going, uh, it's been 19 years since I graduated. I don't know if I actually learned about Custer in high school. Maybe it was middle school. Either way, I was probably paying attention to some hot chick that was in, in class. So <laughs> something I totally didn't know enough information about. So Custer's last stand uh, was in 1876, I believe it was. And um, so they're surveying to find out if Custer is able to get into the territory safely. Oh, does she have an Evanescence tattoo? I got I to gotta talk to her. <laughs> <laughs> you know me so well. Oh. Um, <laughs> so, I wonder and, if she's um, into some hot topics. I'll just go talk to her. It's fine. No, anyway, I'm sorry. God. <laughs> You're done. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, um, so, so continue, yeah, they're, please. They're they're, check, they're they're checking out the area and at um, yeah. So yeah, exactly. Uh, June twenty fifth to the twenty sixth, eighteen seventy six. Um, they're over by um, the Little Bighorn River, and they're trying to like figure out if he can enter the area safely. And one of the guys, uh, like he, he seems to be. Uh, I he, guess the, he seems like a tracker or scout, like yeah. a guy that's like local that kind of understands the terrain telling the U S army like, Oh, here's this, um, this, this wigwam here. And it's like the fire's still fresh. Right. Like, um, he's like, this doesn't feel good. Right. But, so, yeah. It, so my note is that, uh, the one cowboy uh, says that Custer is going to be shitting bricks when he sees how many native Americans are coming. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because they drastically underestimated the force that was coming at them. Um, yeah, we'll, this was, yeah, please go ahead. Um, so, so this was during the, uh, the union's uh, attempt to drive the native Americans out of the great plains. And um, so there was a, there was a spot in uh, South Dakota they were trying to get them out of specifically because gold was found there by Custer and his like regimen like six years earlier. And they tried to buy off the natives um, to get the land back. Because they previously uh, done a treaty, right? Giving them the land. But then the moment like resources were found, they're like, nope, let's just get them out of here. Right. Exactly. Okay. And uh, so, but they looked at it as sacred land. Uh, so basically we had this, um, NIDAC treatment, not NIDAC, uh, like this big treaty between all the surrounded, uh, um, like, like the, native, yeah, the different like tribes, yeah. the tribes. Yeah. yeah. So the, like, there was like six different tribes that all banded together to try to take down this, um, take down Custer, this union regiment that was coming out to wipe their asses out of there. And, uh, they pulled, they built a stronghold basically right where Custer was coming. So there was well over a thousand natives hanging out, just waiting for somebody to come knock on their door. So what you're, so let me just reset. So what you're saying in terms of the historical significance of this episode, what starts off with uh, some dudes on horseback that see the single, um, like the, the single wigwam, the tracker's like, I don't know, this doesn't feel good. And we'll talk about what happens to him in a second. And then the episode just whiplashes from there. The setting up the historical significance, of what you're saying is that, this groups of people got together, um, set aside their differences, knew the, knew the land and terrain, um, did not, maybe did not have the same technological advances as the, the union army, but they are prepared and ready, uh, for a confident person 
to roll in thinking they got this because they've been given the, the edict to um, push out people that already live there because there's resources the U.S. government want. And they were not expecting the fight that they got. Correct? Correct. Yeah. Very correct. I just, I don't know. It seems weird to me that, uh, that history's uh, sussed out that every time we, uh, go on with a head full of steam and, and just assume the other party's weaker, it doesn't always go that way. Yeah. And, uh, I think that, you know, heart can take on just about anything, man. And, uh, the native Americans around that time, like were just so fed up with how they were being treated by, well, yeah, by re- everybody re- repeated treaties that were broken, constant push like constant like like uh like so <laughs> um when i was in college i had an american history class um i took like um i took two semesters of it because the the professor was this older professor he's one of these guys that he like you just imagine that older professor that come in and like uh, greet the class in the morning and see how everybody's going and then about five minutes in you realize he's teaching the class <laughs> and you need to be taking notes you're like god damn it like he does it every time and he would always just like talk about like um, this period of American history about like what was going on in the U S government. And he'd be like, Oh, well, you know, there was always Indians to kill. That was fine. Like he didn't say it like dismissing native Americans. He would say it the way of like, Oh, shit's turning sideways. We can blame them. And then we're going to go after them. That felt like that was a lot of that Western expansion is like the demonizing, taking away and pushing, pushing, pushing because of manifest destiny. And I know that's not the goal of this episode. Uh, but I think it's important to understand Custer and what he was supposed to do and the idea of American imperialism at the time. Most definitely. And I, I, I think there is a, a lot to be said about Custer, especially when you do the research. Uh, I like this, but definitely provoked me to understand the conflict that happened at little Bighorn a little bit more. And I felt very naive walking into this episode. I mean, there is some expla- explanation, um, in this episode of the the events, but it's very glazed over. I was think this um, he, was this Grant was pre, was Grant president at the time, or because uh, he was one of those guys that was like you know big time war hero with Civil War, but he had he had beef with the Native Americans. Oh, jeez, uh, it doesn't matter. You know, but it's like I mean, I feel it, like yeah. that was kind of cl- around the same time. Yes, so yeah, bad news. Like we can acknowledge that, but yeah, that's 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 the frame of this. Yeah. So, and you know, Custer was set in to, because he, you know, he had some, he, he did really well during the civil war and, um, he was, he had driven out some native Americans through other parts of the country and that. So they're like, this is the dude for the job. So he's got a chip on his shoulder. Oh, and so you said this it. was 76, right? 1876. Yeah, uh, Grant was president the 77. So this was under Ulysses, Ulysses S. Grant. So, yeah, he won the Civil War. Yay. Uh, killed a lot of Native Americans. Boo. Like, really boo. Yeah. So this was under the under the direction of Grant. So, but yeah, so um, so we're back into the episode now. I think that's the kind of like the bearings that we need to get here for like yes. the events. So um, so while this tracker is still looking at the area and explaining how how everything's going to transpire for Custer when he gets into that area, he takes an arrow to the back. <laughs> I shouldn't <laughs> laugh, but it's almost as a sudden and vicious as the dude that got the rock in the head, like, uh, 
from Probe 7, right? Yeah. Um, was it Probe 7? Yeah, Probe 7, then the 7th is made up of phantoms. Look at that 7. Oh, no, it's numerology. That's what we're getting into. But it was like the sudden, like, just single arrow hits the tracker. He collapses. He drops his water, his canteen, right? And then it's like um, the, the episode just whiplashes, right? Like, I honestly thought we were going to get, like, a minute of, like, well, I guess we literally got a minute of setup. But then that's when it cuts to three dudes in the tank being like, did you hear that? It definitely sounded like somebody got like an arrow in the back. That's not what they said. Um, but they hear like violence, right? It's like, and they have this tank. It's like, oh, well, that's different. Yeah. So the, the three, the three gentlemen with the tank are uh, part of a uh, training. Yeah. Uh, war games. Or, yeah. They're just doing yeah. some war games, like practice. Yeah. So, and uh, I mean, I, it seems like a, a fair assessment to like, you hear gunfire, maybe go check it out. So they go to research it. And then, uh, I think that's when, no, not yet. Um, so they go and they look a little bit closer and then they find what the one dude calls a wigwam upon re- research it is a TP. So they keep on calling it a wigwam. It's a, it's a TP. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I just, I, I was like, no, that's a TV. And then like, I had to look into it. Like it is a TV, but either way. Um, so they also find the canteen that says a uh, seventh Calvary on it. And, um, you know, the one dude has no idea what they're talking about. Uh, which, uh, character am I talking about here? Of course. Uh, uh, Teeth McGee. Um, what's his name? Uh, uh Mr. Uh, uh Connors, right? He's yeah, the one Langsford. that Langsford, Lang- Langsford, uh, Langsford, yeah, Langsford doesn't have any idea like I would have, um, because, you know, again, didn't pay attention in middle school or high school. And, um, so, uh, McCluster or McCluskey and Connors explained to him like what happened for the seventh cavalry and how it was in that, like that specific area that they're in right now. And, um, so every time there seems to be a little bit of, uh, like, doubt uh, about what had happened during those events there seems to be a strong wind that blows um it's really kind of strange and ominous yeah um and then it, they well, start it, heading it's, back it's, not, the it's not clear so like they hear they hear the the scuffle that was happening with um what happened originally in the past right that's why they find the the canteen and all that but then as they're just talking about this um, there, you, you have that wind and it's like, you wonder, you wonder if like this, this is like the moment they, they, they've moved over to the other side, they went to the past, but that's not really what the wind does. It shows like things happening, but it's never quite entirely clear because they still exist in 64 as we're going to find out. Right. And so, uh, they decide to head back to the tank because they're still on like some kind of like mission to train and that and um they as they're going back they hear what seems to be like war cries um and again like they stop for a second and think about it and the guys like yeah it was just a wind whatever but it was definitely like native war cries <laughs> yeah like there was no doubt that that was someone yelling <laughs> like <laughs> i don't know about you we like i've been around a lot of wind i've never been like man like that, like I've never, I've never mistaken wind from like, or, or somebody yelling for wind, you know, like, like I, I've been wheezy and I felt like I, you know, I felt like I was at death's door, but I've never sounded like a gust of wind. 
No, I, I, I don't think I've ever mistaken those two either. So yeah. <laughs> I, it's not like that I would ever hear native war cries a- anywhere around me. But <laughs> at the same point, like I know what a bunch of uh, like people with fireworks sound like. So <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> fair. Yes. Yeah. Uh, hey, you know, we're in we're in Cleveland. I I remember when the Cavaliers won the finals. I know what that sounded like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that's that no, you're right. So so that's when we get um let's we get the Sterling intro here. I just want to point out that I know that he's not been on set at the same time as like, as the rest of the episode of season five, which is a bummer because like, we always loved like when Sterling would come into scene and we do the whip pan. Um, this is like the middle, like nowhere scrub country, right? Like, like just like by scrub country, I mean like scrub brush, not like, you know, they're a bunch of scrubs. Um, but why does he suddenly have like a lush forest behind him during his intro? Did you notice that? <laughs> yeah. He's like, he's like using the same drop, uh, as like some of the jungle scenes and other episodes and that it's like they shot like, you know, probe seven over and out. He's like sevens fine. Just keep, just keep it on me. I know I was inside that spaceship earlier, but here's some trees with, uh, Oh, what was on those trees? What were on the trees? That's what was on the trees. And then he did his intro. So stop. stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I, I could expect from, uh, from Serling at this point, it's just like, just get me a pack of smokes and let's just roll it. You know, like, yeah, we good. It's like, yeah, you messed good. up the name. He's like, I don't care. This is one take. Let's just do it. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so after the intro, uh, the men report back to camp and, uh, Condor Connors is, um, he's, he's told by his command or like one of the like sidearm guys, like just hanging out, like typing like, Oh, you know, the commander wants to see you whatever. And this dude begins to ream him as soon as he comes in. Like, yeah, didn't didn't just like like this is one of the shoddiest episodes of the Twilight Zone I, I could recall. Everybody, it goes from one to fifteen in a matter of seconds with everybody in this. I felt like the same script that was given to the the uncle in uh, what was the the one with the robot? Uncle Simon. Yeah, Uncle, I feel Uncle like the Robot. same like script lines were given to this dude because he just kept on insulting him the entire what time. What were you doing? In. I wanted my hot chocolate in the fine bone china, and if you do not bring it back to me after maneuvers, I'm throwing it on the ground. That's that's not what he said. This dude was pissed. I was like, yeah. I mean, like for real, dude. Like you're just training. What do you expect is going to happen out in the uh, in battlefield? Like. Seriously. He was just so. like, oh, I'm glad you returned. I was worried that the tank would be stolen. You know, like, like he was just, he's busting, uh, you know, uh, Connor's ass, which I know it's like, it's maneuvers, it's war games. So they still got to treat, treat it seriously. But like, so let's, 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 okay, let's take a step back. So for whatever reason, um, yeah, Connor's and his crew of three with this tank, uh, we're near uh, the intersection of um, the Bighorn River and the Little Bighorn River, which can I just take a step back and say, um, why do we have to call like the Bighorn River the Bighorn River if you already have the Little Horn? Can't it just be called the Horn River? Like I don't know. The, the naming conventions of what was going on here pissed me off, and I know it's reality. Can we just say that? Like if you're the Little Bighorn, then you're not big. I I, I don't know what happened there, but it, yeah, anyway. yeah the, whoever named them kind of like they're like oh this <laughs> is the Bighorn. They're like no 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 that really. one over there is way bigger. It's like oh shit. Well, this yeah, is the little big horn and whatever, you know, we got the big dipper and the little dipper. Yeah. It so isn't like, it isn't like the little big dipper, you know, like, 
I, I, I got nothing. There. Yeah. It'd be like the big horn and the little L I L big horn. Anyway, I just, that pisses me off. That's neither here nor there. That's not Sterling's fault, but God damn it. So these guys are already out of position when they hear the commotion and they go and investigate. So I don't know what they were doing to begin with, whatever. Anyway, so Connors, uh, sorry, didn't, uh, you know, um, just chewing him out saying, okay, well, here's where you need to go next. And like Connors was like, Oh, I can't do that. He's like, why? He's like, it's the same route that Custer took. And did it's like, you know, he's like, what? Like, so <laughs> like, <laughs> he's like, you, you guys are like, this is a war game and you have a tank that happened 80 years ago. Okay. Like I don't blame Dennett for being like, and you know, it, it, well, yeah, and questioning, like, have you had a little bit more? Like, are you hungover? Like, like do you have a bottle in that tank? Like, yeah. And then he's also like, he's like, well, we had a, we had a canteen. And he's like, where'd it go? He's like, oh, I don't have it right now. Because <laughs> like, he's trying to show, it's like, oh, this thing says the seventh calorie, which I, okay. Like, I, 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 I don't want to drag this episode out any longer than it needs to be. But hey, this is where we're at now. Um, you and I both live in a world in which there's like a lot of like war reenactors. Was that yes. not a thing back then? You know, I can't, I can't say for sure, but I had imagined so. I mean, like people like to relive their pride, I guess. I think there is a lot of people out there who like think this is like some badass stuff and they would just want to be like, yeah, you know, that time Custer took on all these natives. Like, I think there are a lot of people out there that were like, this is the, this there, is the shit. There, there like, seems this to be a lot of people that like embracing losing sides and dressing up like it. Just right. throw that out there. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not even like... I, I mean, I'm oh. not trying to put shame on anybody. I think re- reenactments are actually pretty cool, and I think that we have something to learn from that kind of stuff too. Yeah. But like the Civil War reenactments and that, I think that was happening like probably like the next day. <laughs> like seriously, these guys love this stuff. I mean, for goodness' sakes, like it was uh, what was in the 30s. Uh, it, they had this big reunion at Gettysburg um, with the North and South, like the veterans that were still left, yeah. and they actually shot it on color film. So like, and it was one, it was one of those things that blows your mind to see like civil war veterans. I mean, they're old as get out, right? Which Mm -hmm. back then meant like 50, I guess, but I don't know. Um, but like you have color, like you have color film of civil war soldiers, right? So yeah, I just, it's one of those things where it's like, you could have been like, didn't have been like, Oh, you found a, you found a canteen that said the seventh cavalry. Okay, great. Um, did you see if there's a fake seventh cavalry out there right now? You know, just like messing around. Um, but I also like the idea. He's like, yeah, we heard, we heard like native war drums. And then it's like, well, that's probably uh, native Americans out there, but you know, maybe don't attack them probably because they're out getting soil samples and they have college degrees. Credit to Serling painting uh, native Americans, uh, you know, doing pretty good for themselves at that point. Yeah, I I think there's just a lot of people that like have fun with this stuff in general. Even fake battles, like the the the, the army of the or the was it the battle of the five, seven armies or whatever, yeah. <laughs> Lord of the Rings and that. Like people love this kind of stuff. And maybe there was somebody that was reenacting it, and they just dropped a canteen that looks pretty new, and just happened to say in clear black writing on it, Seventh Cavalry. Yeah, I wouldn't instantly go to be like gotta be ghosts. I, I like the idea that like, that would happen is like, there'd be like a cut of like a mother being like, Bill, what happened to the canteen I made for you? I'm sorry, mom. I was out in the desert. And I lost it. It's like, God damn it, Bill. I just made that for you. Like, how are you supposed to play army without your canteen? Mom, it's not army. It's a reenactment. You know, like, you know, yeah. how, how are you supposed to relive the glory of the seventh cavalry? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you know. 
but Good. come on, just oh, fine. Just get the rest of you guys come in. I know one of them got taken about about Arrow, but I have uh, I have uh, orange slices and uh, you know um, the snack pies ready for you guys. It's fine. Just come on in here. Fruit by the bullet. Yeah, you got it. Like. <laughs> <laughs> have fun. Yeah. Uh, Ice cream bar, sure, everybody. It's fine. It's coming. You guys did good today. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, despite uh, Connor's uh, little like rant about the Seventh Cavalry and like Custer's last stand and all that, uh, Dennant's like, "Yeah, you're still going." <laughs> so, shut down. Um, and the next morning, we see the team. Um, they're going into that area, and they see smoke in the distance. It looks like smoke signals. Uh, whatever. I, I didn't look like smoke signals to me, but it just looked like somebody was probably just having a fire, um, and, you know, in a park. Um, yeah. McCluskey and Connors talk about the next parts of what happened to uh, Reno and his men. So Reno, to go back into history and that, uh, Reno and uh, Cluster or Gus Custer's. Uh, McCluster. That's not right. No, I, I know. I'm getting my names mixed up here. Uh, Custer's. Um, regiments get split into threes and reno is actually supposed to try to circle around and cross over the river to surround the the, the native american uh encampment there and uh when that happens um he ends up finding uh like a few natives that like are beyond the the, the camp and he ends up uh killing a few of them and that kind of sets certain other actions into motion here as far as the episode. Um, so do, 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 do. Yeah, I need to make sure I'm right with my notes here because I'm looking at like five different things well, at yeah, once. Yeah, though, so that, that's fair to follow that along. I just want to point out that it, it is um, it is weird to me that uh, Connors and McCluskey are having like these in-depth like Wikipedia article like citations about what happened with Custer. And Langsford's like, what? Who? How? Like, like, I like how he's like the one guy like, I don't know. Where are we? Like, we have a tank, right? That's like, it's a weird dynamic. Yeah. So uh, the, the events that follow is they talk about how Rito ends up killing a, na- a native that, um, and they hear some, some like horse coming in or no, they hear, actually they hear, they, they hear like a war party battle. or something. Yeah. 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 And so uh, McCluskey, he just starts firing blindly, <laughs> which, uh, you know, why not? You know, I, you got a gun. I don't it, know. What, it's I, a war game scenario and you have a loaded weapon. Yeah, I think the right I think the right decision is just to open fire blindly. I think you're right. I think that's the the way to go. Just, <laughs> just you know, not good. Yeah, so, not good. Yeah. So my, my, my notes here is a. Uh, then he hears war cries. McCluskey starts firing his wi- his rifle from nowhere into nowhere. Yep. As one should do? Question mark. <laughs> so I, I just don't I don't get his motive here, or at least what he's trying to shoot at. So yeah. nonetheless, um, we do see a horse with no rider um, run through the scene, and so they have to automatically assume well, McCluskey had to have shot the rider. And so now we're following more of the events of what Reno and his soldiers were doing at that exact okay, moment. Okay, to be fair, he, McCluskey's like, I shot him. I did. The episode doesn't show it. We just see mm-hmm. the lone horse. Um, the, the, we do see the column of smoke. That's fair. We do hear noises. 
Um, outside of the initial attack on the tracker, getting the arrow in the back, um, as much as we're like telling the story of these guys in this war games, they're, they're, they're like the thing. Like, so the bigger frame of this is that they, um, Connors and McCluskey believe that they're following in the footsteps of fate, right. right. In terms of the, the past. Um, and, um, and we have, uh, teeth McGee. What's his name? We have, um, I just, I, I lost it again. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, um, we have Langsford. Langsford who is like the non-believer, which is you, like, it's fine for like the, you, you always need the one person to question everything and that's fine, but he gets real shouty, whatever. I, again, probably not wrong, but he goes from zero to 1000 pretty quickly. Um, but the thing is, is like Connors is like drawn to this where at first he tells Dennett, like, we can't do this, but there's like this weird compulsion that I don't really feel like is, um, realized in this episode like you don't get the magnetic pull of them going forward they just kind of do and that's frustrating to me because you don't get the notion that's like this compulsion of like we must do this until like the last few seconds of their story yeah and i i agree with you completely on that and that was kind of where i was while watching these certain scenes play out Mm -hmm. I mean, especially with Connors not really being a good enough leader to devote these other two men to the mission, I don't understand what their motivations are. So not only is um, Langsford flying blindly because, you know, he doesn't drive the tank apparently or something, I don't know. But McCluskey is the guy who, who knows a bit about history. And he's like, oh yeah, I remember this. I was in school too. And so it's just on that notion that well, we're in the area, we have these things that are unexplainable. Why don't we just keep on going blindly into it? And I just, I, as a viewer, as somebody who knows a little bit about like war history and that, I don't know if this is the best option. Like, I just don't think like going blindly into an area that you keep on hearing war cries, gunfire, yeah. I just don't, I don't know if that's like the right call. I mean, if you keep finding evidence that's like lining up with what you know of the events that lead into a, a massacre for the U S forces and you are a U.S. force following that same trail. And you're like, Oh, this must be what's going on. Um, don't you have the option at any point in time to turn around and leave? I don't right. know. Like, I just feel like that's an option. You have, a, you have a literal tank. You can just go. It's fine. You're fine. But anyway, so there's this compulsion. It's this weird thing. And it's like, um, so then, um, so yeah, that's, that's, I, I have a problem with that, but I guess we're not even really like, if people have not watched this episode, um, and, and I would argue that any, any episodes, uh, episode of the twilight zone is worth watching once, even the bard, you gotta, you gotta eat your vegetables before you get to your cake. Um, watch this once and you can see the skeleton of what Shirley's trying to do. Um, he's trying to like this, this, this intersection of present and history, like there's some interesting things going on, but I I mean, I kind of want to put this equally at the foot, uh, the feet of Serling and, um, our director here, uh, with, uh, uh, Alan Crossland jr. Um, that there is, there is no inventiveness here to really get the story across. Like there's nothing and his name's Crossland. So that's not what I mean by that. Um, it's, it's just like, you keep, you keep having a bunch of people tell you what's going on. You hear things, you don't really see anything. 
um, the, the, the visuals that you get is a single, um, like wigwam, a dude with a, with an arrow in the back. And then we get soon, we're getting to, um, the revelation of the quote unquote native American village that has seven wigwams. I don't know if I call that a village. That feels like, um, like an area that you'd go, like you would like take your kids, like guys, we're going to go look at a battleground. They'd be mad. Yeah, like a historical site. Yeah, look at look at the wigwams. Thanks. Like, can I get a t-shirt? No, we can't afford it. It'd be, it'd be a bunch of LARPers or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It would just, I mean, I get what they're going for, and it's supposed to be this big sudden moment whenever um, uh, McCluskey goes over the hill and sees, like, the seven wigwams set up. And he's like, oh, crap. We now found this village that is, like, following the trail of Reno. Um do, do, do what what's what constitutes a village for you, Terry? I think if we're gonna go camping, we invite seven people with tents. That's not a village. Uh, no, I wouldn't. Uh, that's a camp. That's, that's, <laughs> a, a, a village would be like a a, a pretty decent size, like maybe like a, with a working like perimeter, hundred people, and other things going on. Yeah, like yeah. I mean, let's, okay, this summer after the pandemic's over. Let's just go create a village out in the middle of nowhere of like seven tents and be like, this is our town now. Um, you know, and we're going to call ourselves, we're going to be, it's going to be a sovereign nation. Like we'll just, you know, that will go well. Right. I, you know, I, I don't think so, but (laughs) (laughs) with with the trend of things lately, I think it would not go well at all. No. (laughs) Um, but yeah, it just, it just feels, it just, I get, I get what they're going for and there's the music cue and it's like, you get like, um, was it Langsford's finally starting to believe because he's like, oh shit, there's now more of like, there's more wigwams around. Like that's a, that's a problem. You know? <laughs> he's about to take off and we got to cut back to, to base where Dennett is like, Hey, where are those idiots at? They're like, we've not heard from them because they, they radio in and was like, you need to come back right now. You have 30 minutes. And then they just kind of cut the transmission, which, um, I honestly believe at that point we're going to get a scene of um, Connor's talking to Dennett and the radio failed, meaning that like they were about to be rolled back into that time. No, they purposely went AWOL. That's the vibe I got. You know, and it's kind of insulting to the, the experience that we're trying to have as a viewer too. Cause I was hoping for something like that as well. Yeah. Um, but I guess that the desire of Connor's and his two men Two well, men, <laughs> two and a half men, because uh, Langsford was not uh, not on board until the end. Um, yeah, uh, but yeah, like so, McCluskey's like, I'm gonna go check out this village. It's like, and then and then Langsford's like, I don't think it's a village. I think it's just like a camping ground. He's like, shut up, shut up. Like, that's not what I said. <laughs> um, so he goes down to the KOA camp down there, right, to see what's going on. And and then as like Langsford and Connor are just talking, McCluskey comes back. He's like, oh, um, just tell you guys, uh, you know. That, that's bad news or whatever he says. And he, and he just falls down with an arrow on his back. It's the same style. Like, it's not like, is that an arrow or a javelin for both times we've seen this arrow? It's a pretty big object. It is. And I just hate to say it, but it, that is, it is a fail as far <laughs> as like the, the reenactment of like what an arrow would look like for a native American. Like, I like this big spiral that's going around yeah. it. Like, like it's a, like a barber pole. Like what the hell is that? Yeah. It's like, Oh, it's like we went to the local, uh, you know, sporting goods store and got the, the stripey javelin, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. Um, so whatever. So McCluskey, 
uh, like I wrote in my notes, gets arrowed off camera, you know. So, uh, and then at that point, the men abandoned the tank. Let me rephrase. They abandoned the tank to go because they believe that shit's about to get real and they're about to be in like Custer's last stand and they believe with like their automatic weapons, maybe they have a chance, but they abandon the tank. All what? Right, so I, I, again, like to kind of like piggyback off of what you're saying right now, um, there were like 1500 native Americans in that battle, 1500 to 2,500. Like there wasn't an exact number, because there were so many tribes that were involved against 700 cavalry and scouts. I think the tank might have helped. Maybe if Connors and <laughs> maybe <laughs> and his lackey would have paid a little bit closer attention in school, the tank might have been a big help for this slaughter that was about to happen to uh, the to yeah. the Union. Like I'm not saying that's how it should have happened, but like even if you can't fire directly, it's a tank. Just keep moving forward. I don't yeah, know. You wouldn't take any arrows in the back, of course. That's fair. That is fair. Um, so they, 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 there's this like bit of like McCluskey's like bleeding out, but you know, like you have that like that badass moment, right? Why by badass? I mean that's what they're going for, where like they all cock their weapons and rush towards the camera and want like one of the clunkiest transitions I think I've seen. I don't know how you felt about that, but it's like it just it didn't feel good. Like it was dumb as hell. Um, and then they go forward, um, and then. Later, uh, like, cause like, um, what was it? Like the, the, the people that did it went out to find them. They're like, they came back. They're like, Oh, like they're gone. And the tanks there, but there's a note being like saying like off to go get ourselves killed or whatever the note said. That's not what it said. Um, but then they, um, end up getting near the memorial for Custer's last stand. And they're like, kind of like searching the area and and Terry here, you 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 talk about the big uh, reveal here. This is uh, a thing that happened. Okay, so uh, Lieutenant Woodward is kind of just still sitting there at what is the the graveyard at the uh, the last stand, and then it kind of just starts to walk away. He folk they focus in on this small like memorial to the the soldiers that were involved in the battle. And it highlights, it literally <laughs> highlights the three names in sequence of Connors, Langford, and McCluskey. I I mean, I don't know. Like, I, we're going to have to post this picture because I, it is so comical. And oh, in you mean the one that I screencapped of the, of the highlighting names? I, I, I have it. It's coming. So stay tuned, everybody. It will show up this week. Yeah, but thank you. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's just, I, I just, I don't know. It's kind of sad. <laughs> it's kind of sad. I just, I want a little bit more ambiguous. Like, yeah. I, wanted, I wanted it to be handled in a different way. Like, maybe in passing, we would see three gravestones or something like that. Not like this. This what, is such what, a, like. What about this? And I honestly, I don't know. Like, it's the Mandela effect of where I was like, oh, I know this is going to go. Because I swear, I swear to to whatever DD, like the flag spaghetti monster or whatever um, <laughs> that you believe in. I honestly believe what was going to happen is that Den and his men were going to come across the tank with a bunch of like, like arrows jabbed through it. And like the men weren't found and like the tank disabled. Yeah. I don't know why I believe that because I thought that was a thing. And with that, like you have the tank, you have it, you have it in the episode. 
Wouldn't that have been like the better play of like, we have a tank, we're going to figure this out. And then the guys come across the tank. It's like, oh, well, something happened here. And there's a bunch of like, you know, dead dudes and arrowheads stuck in this tank. Wouldn't that have been way more compelling? I, I, yeah, I think so. I think there's a lot of ways that they could have conveyed that they were involved and it could have been a little bit more, I don't know, captivating. I think this was like a real like dialed in moment at the end. Yeah, it could have been. Um, it's just there's a lot of there's a lot of telling and not showing here. And that's what's frustrating. Uh, again, especially when you have like you talked about like the historical like aspect of this. And you could tell Serling is like all like it's stuck in his head too, right? To to to, to write as a story, and the notion of, um, like, the 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 current following the past, like that's interesting to me. Um, and there's what was it? Um, oh, what was the movie? Uh, the Philadelphia Experiment was that the film where like the the warship went back to like the, the warship in the eighties, like the 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 Navy uh, uh, aircraft carrier ended up back like helping to fight Pearl Harbor. Like it just ended up back in time. Like that's kind of, it's, it's a fun, it's a fun thought of thought experiment. Right. So, um, like there's, there's a lot of this that like, okay, I get it. It, Like I can see what's going on here. Um, but this was like a lot of like a bunch of guys talking and a bunch of assumptions and yeah, we, we see all the evidence. And as a viewer, you're like, well, shit, this is what's going on. Um, there was this never that leap where it's like, they just accept it wholeheartedly because, they shouldn't, you know, like they should just haul ass back to camp and be done with it because a, as a rational person, like that should like, you'd be like, Oh, well, there's a lot of things going on. I can't explain it. However, it's 1964. I have a tank. Uh, we're on war games. Let's just get out of here. You know, like there's a lot of that where just, I never bought the magnetism of it. And that's what was, that's what Rob was going for with Connors and, and um, McCluskey and it just, it never connected for me and they never actually showed us anything like, I don't know. Wouldn't it have been interesting to see, I don't know, some native Americans engaging with them. Maybe yeah, something. Yeah. Or something. at least like what, what, somebody running or I, I don't know, like even like somebody, somebody falling somebody, off the back of that horse that supposedly got shot. Right. That, that would give more <laughs> gravity to the situation where maybe you want to get involved, but like, like what you're saying, there isn't enough evidence here to, I don't know, abandon your mission in training. <laughs> and then, I mean, and then, Dennett, and yeah. Dennett didn't look like he was messing around either, dude, no. man. Like, I don't know if I want to piss the captain off. <laughs> no, and he has very specific instructions for his uh, his soldiers that when, like the MP soldiers, when they find um, the the tank crew, he's like, like I, I'll play at the very end of the episode of his instructions for like, if they're not going to come willingly, what to do to them. And it's amazing. Um, but yeah, Dennett was also like, he's like, he's like, ah, too bad. They didn't bring the tank. And then the guy's like, what do you mean? He's like, nothing. Like, really? That's where we're at with this. And then also too, I understand this is like spelled correctly. So I'm not judging rod for that, but I like, he's like, file this under P for phantom. I'm like, phonetically, that just hurts me to hear that. No, I get what you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) There's a a few fails in this. And the the one scene that you were talking about towards the end where the three men are actually like they come upon the battle and they all like pull out their guns and start. But you you hear it, but you never do the pan over their shoulders to see what was going on. And. And sorry, I'm cutting you off. I apologize. Uh, But like when we when we did a uh, was it a a kind of stopwatch, we had like 8000 stop footages of different movies. You mean you can't show me a cavalry charge 
fighting Native Americans? Like, there's not stock footage of that as like a Western. I think that they they, de- they did that in that too. Like yeah. that's just kind of the, the the screwed up thing is like we actually saw Native Americans on horseback. I think so. <laughs> I don't I don't know what the hell what the motivation was for this sequence. Like maybe just to be stoic. Like the guys do all of this this searching and maybe. like that you know like they follow in the footsteps of Reno and his men and they finally find the battle and they're like yeah you know Custer's getting his ass kicked. We're going to be the guys that change like history here. And they all cock their weapons and like walk in. That is such a shitty shot. Like it really is. <laughs> it is. And I, it's frustrating because it could have been cool. It, it really could have. Been could have. And it, it like, it could have amplified the stoic, like, st- like the stoic feeling that you're getting from these three men that are, like, see these guys getting slaughtered and they're like, we can make a difference and then go in. And of course, you know, get their asses handed to him too because of what we see on the memorial here but it's like just the shot like it could have been something more i mean sh- shit we even got that from 300 you know like well, that last like, scene in 300 yeah but you know that the men are gonna get destroyed like what if, like what if like you do the thing where they finally get where they're going and because they were out of maneuvers like the tank ran out of fuel right and they're like they get to up to the ridge and they can't go over and they're like well we're out of gas Right. Uh, out of options. And it's like, these men need us. Let's just go. Like there was ways to, to write that ending and show it, um, that weren't 1963 dependent. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not trying to be like, like they're like, like it's easy for us to rewrite something now because I feel like as viewers of mass media that we've gotten a lot more sophisticated. Mm. However, um, the twilight zone up to this point has done a really good job of either like, like showing and not telling or finding ways to effectively like cheat the scene to where you get everything you need, which I'm not saying this one didn't cause it did. It's just, there was more sophisticated, sophisticated ways of handling this than this episode brought to us. And that Most is definitely. frustrating. Most definitely. I mean, even like where we were, um, like as far as like where they're supposed to be timeline wise, I either it was Reno or Bentine when they were trying to get um, their regiment back over to uh, Custer, they couldn't cross over the river. That could have been something with the tank too. Like, yeah. <laughs> that why, could have been and, like, oh well, we can't get past the river. Let's leave the tank. What about like maybe somebody in a, a union outfit that could have been Bentine, Reno, or Custer talking to these guys? Or for goodness sakes, have somebody dress up as drunken Ulysses S. Grant and be like, good on you guys. The only tank I know is this tank of whiskey behind me. You know, like whatever, it's fine. You know, like it's just, there is, you know, for an episode like the passersby, which was I think in season three, where the ghost of Abraham Lincoln showed up to talk to a woman. You you guys know you can you can dip into Civil War you know, imagery. It's fine. You know, like, um, still Valley is from season three as well. It's like, you had a shit ton of guys in Confederate outfits. You could, you could make this happen, you know, like just did, was the money on the tank. Cause if the tank was the big draw and it was never used, why could you just have guys out in maneuvers and they had like, you know, not a tank. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't get it. There was a lot of, <laughs> there, there, there's a lot of fails in this episode. Yeah. It's frustrating. And, Cause there's some bones I, I, here. There's some good bones. It's just yeah. nothing to hang on it. 
Nothing to handle that skeleton. I feel like I'm doing it a disservice as far as my like lack of uh, research um, for like the whole last stand. I've tried to balance this information as best as possible, but I really think that people will get a lot more out of this episode if they watch it and don't have my meandering through uh, U.S. history trying to like kind no, of no, like, no, 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 no. I think I think it was important for you to explain <laughs> of like how how inevitable the destruction was going to be for Custer and his men and how McCluskey and, and Connors knew this actively knew this and still chose to go forward. This you mentioned earlier in the episode, excuse me, um, the 30 fathom grave, right? Like how, like that was a certain episode. And, and I know like, like, you know, um, that was not one of your favorite ones, but there was compelling ideas in there, but there was the main dude that felt drawn he kept being drawn to the edge of the ship to go to the water, right? Cause he kept hearing that knocking and that was expressed so much better there than anything here. And that was a past event that happened with the bombing of his ship. Sorry. Was it? Yeah. It was his, was it a sub. It was a sub yeah. um, that got bombed and he was on it. Like that was handled better in that episode. That wasn't a good episode there. So why couldn't Serling, who is known to piece part Frankenstein things together and patch it up and make it workable. Why did it work there and not here? I, you know, it's a good comparison and I wish I had a answer for why it was handled in the way it was because you're right, man. Like they're the way that they showed his, uh, his eagerness to get to that ship we could have had something dynamic like that, but I mean, I get, maybe it's a fact that you're bouncing off of two other dudes. I don't know. Like I, I don't, I don't know. Like there was some, again, like some failed efforts here and I, I, it's not a, it's, I I feel like we're dumping on us. It's actually a really interesting episode. And again, it made me feel compelled to find out more research about. That's good. But, Interesting doesn't make it good. <laughs> you know, like I'm just like, that's, I mean, it was, it was flat. And I mean, I don't know. I just, I feel bad for you shouldn't judge an episode by itself based upon what came before it because you want to judge on its own merits. But we just spent time at the beginning of this episode extolling uh, Serling and what he is capable of. And this just one of those ones where it's like, even if this was a season one episode, I'd have been like, you could do better than this. You know, like in term, and again, I don't know if it's necessarily the screenplay, but uh, Alan Crosland Jr. like would have read this and been like, "Well, how do I make? How do I tell the story visually?" And he defaulted to every bad decision ever. Yeah, I don't know, and uh, I just have to add on to the little end of this of my mm-hmm. history uh, uh, class here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one that finally came in and set shit right, General Albert or Alfred Terry. Terry came in and saved the day. <laughs> so when in doubt, there's a Terry there. So that's good. Yep. So, um, so yeah. Do you have any other notes about the episode before I get into some trivia? Nah, man, go ahead and it. All Hit right. It. So, so, um, the, the, the monument at the end that the guys are looking at is actually a, an accurate recreation of what's actually happening, uh, the, 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 the site where they're, um, you know, where there's the memorial for all this. Um, they don't explain why, there's a little big horn and a big horn, but whatever. Anyway, <clears throat> so um, in regards to uh, Serling having this in his head previously, 
Uh, this comes from uh, the Martin Graham's junior book, Twilight Zone Unlocking a Door to the Television Classic, which, again, uh, Terry asked me for holiday recommendations. I would recommend this book continuously. Um, 13 years before this telecast, Rod Serling wrote a series of scripts for a radio produ- program called Our America. Um, it says exact dates are unknown, but um, they talked about some of the uh, air dates from like October 51. Uh, the program featured historic dramas of notable American historical figures such as Jefferson Davis, Lewis and Clark, and one of the episodes uh, dramatized a recreation of General Custer and his encounter with the Sioux with the Little Bighorn. And this episode offered Serling a chance to revisit the same historical events that he wrote for the radio years before. So there you go. He already had this in his back pocket, researched it, and was able to lean upon it, which, again, not a bad idea. And he's a writer that, when he finds opportunity, he'll take advantage of it. That I, I don't blame him at all. Like, he already has the research and foundational knowledge. Why not write a thing about it? But he's already he did already did a like a nonfiction recreation of this years before. And it's almost like, why can't I just like listen to that versus the story that we got? Yeah. I don't know, man. I, I just, I think there's something, there's something here. There, I, like, even if we got a remake on this episode, mm-hmm. uh, somebody took the, the, the root storyline and redid it. I, there's something compelling here at the same point. I, I don't know what it is. Yeah. So. No, it's just one of those ones that's going to fall in the middle for me, right? So the seventh is made up of, yeah, that's what the, this episode is. So, <laughs> um, yeah, because I made the joke to you before I watched it. I was like, I thought this was an episode about baseball. And I was like, what? The seventh is made up of phantoms. What happened to the other innings? You know, anyway, that is not what happened here. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, let's just uh, let's just get to the twist and get out of here because uh, I feel like I'm compelled to keep talking about this. Um, no, I'm not. So let's just get to the twist. <laughs> that the guys would follow the trail of the last stand and actively call it out and end up also dead. I'm going to give it a one because it was telegraphed pretty early. Yeah. I think that for me, the swing was, uh, the three horseback dudes, one gets shot and it immediately goes into the three guys with the tank. That's a swing, and I didn't expect it to go that route because I thought it was going to be maybe like a Western storyline. Yeah, as did I. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like a two or three for me, but everything else, like the way that everything followed through until the end, it's a one as well. All right. Fair enough. So that is going to do it for our discussion about the seventh is made up of phantoms. Um, you know, everybody watch the episode. It's worth, worthy of watching. Every Twilight Zone is worthy of watching, uh, regardless of how we eventually fall on it, because it's an important series, and uh, there's some good stuff here. And there's there's good bones here, too. So there's bones in them hills. That's not what I meant by that. So uh, you guys can find us on Facebook. Um, it's a Strange Highways podcast. I will have some images from this episode coming up the next week, including, including a highlighted uh, image of some names on a monument spoilers that uh that terry pointed out because it's ridiculous uh and then maybe a canteen may show up because that's super important um so yeah you guys can find us there uh you guys can email us directly at strange highways uh podcast at gmail.com and wherever you find your uh, podcast rate and review us and if you have friends that are into you know cool stuff like this and want to get into more anthology things and enjoy our ramblings uh please um you know recommend it to a friend because again um, we're still not out of this, uh, you know, this disease plague ridden, um, era stay home, 
watch Twilight Zone, listen to podcast. And Terry, how can people find us elsewhere? And so Facebook, we are Strange Highways at Facebook. Um, you can write, review, all that, share it to your friends, like uh, Paul was saying. But we are also on Instagram at Strange Highways Podcast. Um, so we do do talk about uh, other things outside of the 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 universe that is Twilight Zone. Um, give us some recommendations, like maybe yeah. something that you know that you've been wanting some like feedback on. Maybe you don't feel a hundred percent about it, and you want somebody to swear your opinion in the right direction. We might be those guys. So uh, make some recommendations those uh, in those ways. Um, and we're on Spotify these days, so uh, go ahead and follow us on Spotify. That'd be great. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. As much as we're uh, we're now a fourth of the way through the season, uh, give or take, um, you know, the, the future is a little uncertain about when we get to the end. So if you guys give us some detours, I'm okay with, uh, you know, um, putting the goalpost back a little bit on season five. So let, recommend things. Like we had friend of the show, Sam, recommend uh, Monsterland, uh, which we've not dug into yet. Uh, there's other anthology stuff out there that, you know, Let's just, we're open to whatever. It'll be a lot of fun. We just cover Black Mirror. Is there other Black Mirror for us to watch? Fine. You know, like I think, uh, you know, everything, everything's in bounds, right? So it'll be a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, that's going to do it for uh, this discussion about Seventh Smith of Phantoms. Uh, next week is a short drink from a certain fountain. Um, and we're going to let Serling tease that right now. And now, Mr. Serling. No one likes to age, but it's a natural process like death and taxes and the weather. But next time on Twilight Zone, we tell the story about what happens when a certain man doesn't age. As a matter of fact, he grows younger. Patrick O'Neill stars in A Short Drink from a Certain Fountain. And if this one doesn't pull you up by the shoulders, I don't think anything will. I hope we see you next time. I don't know what pulling you up by the shoulders means, but I'm intrigued. Uh, yeah, I mean, come on. Uh, Rod, give us a good good one after this episode. Come on. <laughs> so yeah, that's going to do it for us this week. Be good, be safe, uh, and also like beware for arrows in the back because they seem sudden and um, I don't know ridiculous. So watch out for arrows in the back, and, and don't fire blindly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know those horses want to run free. Don't just shoot blindly in the mist. Jeep and three men down Rosebud Creek. Just follow the tread marks and bring them back. What if they resist? Well, I'll tell you what you do, Lieutenant. First you apologize to them, and then you shoot each one of them in the leg. Now, do you read me?